1 John 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of, his, of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Morning, everyone. My name is Jared and I'm the pastor at High Wycombe Church and it's a real privilege to be here this morning and see you all. Will you join me as we pray to begin? Heavenly Father, we come before you with thanks. Uh, you are the Almighty. You, you rule this world that you've made with love and mercy and compassion. And thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege of gathering together this morning and looking into what you have to say to us in your word. Please help me to speak clearly and all of us to understand more the truths of who you are and how that relates to us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So uh, some of you may recognize me, some of you may not. I, I used to be here uh, with, with the, the church at Maidavale before, roughly uh, coming up on two years ago now, um, when we were sent from here to go and, and plant a church in High Wycombe, which is nearby, and um, and that's, that's been a great joy, and I, I bring greetings and, and uh, yes, yeah, send all of our, our best wishes to everyone here at Maidavelle. It's a privilege to be back. Thank you for having us. Thank you for um, welcoming us in. Uh, we, uh, we're glad to be here together as brothers and sisters. Uh, we, we have joyful uh, partnership together in Jesus Christ, and it's, it's our privilege to be here with one another. I'd like to welcome anyone who's a visitor, who's, uh, this is, if this is your first time in church or your 500th time in church, or if you have no idea how many times you've been in church, no worries. It's great to have you here, and I'm glad that you're with us. It's a special day today. Um, I feel really privileged to get to preach this morning uh, at my Father Owen's ordination service. Uh, it's, it's in, in a lot of ways, it's, it feels like a really weighty, special, important day, and, and I hope that you get that sense too. It's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful day when we, we set aside uh, someone for, for leadership in the church. Uh, when, we, when we say, yes, uh, this person is going to be ordained, uh, given this responsibility, as, as we've done for my father Owen uh, today. 
And uh, one of the, the ways in which this feels a bit like coming full circle is that um, my parents, Owen and Nikki, are the ones who taught me about Jesus. They're the ones who, who told me um, about him first from when I was a small child and, uh, and taught me that, that Jesus loves me and that he's there for me and that he's my Lord and my Savior and he's the only one who can save me. And now I have the privilege of, of proclaiming that message again, both to them and encouraging them to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep focusing on Jesus and the love and grace that he offers but also to all of us, because it's not just Owen and Nikki, who it feels weird using their first names, but <laughs> I get teased when I call them mum and dad, so you know, um, it's not just them who need to hear it, but actually all of us, because the Bible is God's spoken word to us. It's, it's what God is saying to us now. And so when we read these words, we're not reading mere human words, but we're reading what God has to say to us. And this message is not just for some people in our world, it's for all of us. We all need to hear it, and we all need to heed it. Uh, and, and one of the things that, that elders are called to do um, is to guard the gospel. Now, what does it mean to guard the gospel? Well, it means to proclaim, to protect, to propagate. I'm also throwing in some alliteration there. <laughs> the, the proclaim, protect, propagate this message of this massive news of salvation in Jesus Christ. That's, that's what guarding the gospel means. It means protecting this good deposit that's been entrusted to us and faithfully communicating it to others and sharing that message, all, which is all about Jesus Christ. Jesus, the King of the whole world, the King who saves sinners like you and me. That's what we're, we're all about here, Jesus Christ and the salvation he alone offers. And so, I, I, I want to encourage us to celebrate today. Today is a day of great joy as we rejoice in our great God who has provided us with the Lord Jesus Christ who offers the only way to salvation and as we rejoice in him setting aside um, my dad <laughs> for, for, uh, for that task of, of being a ruling elder. This passage that we've just had read for us by Jen uh, is, is one from a letter that a guy named John wrote. And now John was one of the people who lived with Jesus, who walked around with him. He was, he was present with him as he was on earth. And he wrote the, one of the biographies of Jesus that you can read in the, in the New Testament, which is very helpfully named John, <laughs> if you're looking for it. He also wrote a number of letters, and this is the first of, of those. And in this, he uses uh, images and, and, and describes things in a way in which we can understand. He uses things that we are familiar with to explain the grandeur and the awesomeness, if that's a word, of who Jesus is and what he's done. Two, one, two that he uses are um, that of, of life and of light. We're going to start by looking at life and then we'll look at light. So as we work our way through this passage, it'll be helpful for you to, if you have a Bible, to have it in front of you. If you don't, then maybe look to the screens or look over the, the shoulder of someone next to you. Um, my job is, is not to make stuff up but to, to proclaim the truth of what's here. So look to what's said in here and see if what I'm saying lines up with this. And then as we do that, we will be greatly encouraged. So we begin by looking at John talking about life. He says this in the first verse, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That's where he starts. He says he starts by talking about life. Now, life is a familiar concept to all of us. We, 
We know what life is. We know it's the opposite of death. We know that uh, life is, we usually associate with things like having our heart beating or breath in our lungs. And um, you know that plants and animals are alive, but a rock is not alive. Um, if there's any geologist who thinks otherwise, you can correct me. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure rocks aren't alive. Um, but but we, we, have, we have this understanding of what life is. Uh, and, and life here, that what, the way that John is using it, is more significant than just the way we might ordinarily use it. Uh, he's got a very special and specific use for life here. And it connects with using the word word. You know, he says, this is the word of life. You see that uh, at the end of that, that verse, concerning the word of life. Now, John has used this concept in, in, in the biography he wrote of Jesus at the beginning, but that word is a special word, um, and it means more than just what we would normally associate with word, but rather something like reason or wisdom, the divine reason or wisdom behind and before and over all of life is what John has in view here. Uh, and he says that this life was made manifest. And he says that this life is eternal. He says it's eternal life. That means forever, no beginning, no end, but going on and on and on forever. And so we see John use a description which sounds very physical. Do you notice that when you read it? He says, which we've seen, which we've heard, which we've touched. We've, we can testify to it, proclaim it to you. It seems like a very physical description of what seems to be a very... Uh, a concept that goes beyond our comprehension. I mean, you know, we, we talk about, you know, if you go for a walk and you see a tree, you know, you can see the tree, you can touch the tree, but we don't normally go for a walk and say, I see the reason behind all life and I can see it and touch it and hear it. We, we don't, that's not, not our normal everyday experience. It's, it's, that seems to be, you know, the divine reason and wisdom behind all of life is a concept that, that goes beyond our comprehension and we we wouldn't normally think to describe it in terms like this. So what, what, is, what does he have in view here? Well, do you see that he said this word of life was made manifest? Do you see that? And he says that a few times. It was made manifest, made known, revealed, shown to us. And he's telling us uh, that this life is not just a concept, but a person. This life is, is, not, is not merely a concept, but a person, the person of Jesus Christ. Not just any person, but Jesus himself. You see, John and the other disciples, they spent years with Jesus. They, they lived their lives with the one who is life. They, they, they walked with him. They talked with him. They heard him speak. They ate with him. They went on journeys with him. They knew him personally. And so these, these followers of Jesus, uh, they lived their lives with the one who is life. And because he's eternal, not only did, did they know him back then, but they know him for all eternity now. And they've seen this life personified in Christ Jesus. Uh, they've witnessed his compassion, his loving kindness, his miraculous power, his grace, his goodness. And they proclaim this life. He says, we proclaim this life. And how do they proclaim this life? They proclaim Jesus. That's how. Jesus, who is God the Son, one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all eternity, he is the word of life. He is the eternal one. He is the one who is life. He was made manifest. He came to this earth. He was created. 
conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he displayed what true life is really all about. And um, even if you haven't thought too much about Jesus, maybe you haven't really thought to give much thought to who he is and, and what he's done, I suspect you have some kind of awareness of him, that you've heard of Jesus, and, and maybe as, as you've heard of him, you've thought, well, I know that he's, he's, he seems like a nice guy. Maybe, maybe that's, that's, that's what you, you, your impression is of him. And if you look at the, the, the biographies of Jesus in the Bible, you'll see that he's far more than, than merely a nice guy. Uh, but you see a love and a kindness and a compassion and a grace that you can't see anywhere else. I mean, if you just read the pages of the things that Jesus did, back in Jesus' day, there were um, people who were, who were rejected by society, uh, often called the sinners and the tax collectors, people who were known for, for being on the outskirts, viewed as outcasts, judged and thrown away by society, rejected, uh, people who were, who were people like prostitutes and people who were tax collectors, and they were judged harshly. And the religious people of the day, the religious elite, didn't want anything to do with those people. But you know what Jesus does? He goes and eats with them. He shares a meal with those people, such that he's even getting scorned for hanging out with those people. And people are like, does he know the kinds of people he's hanging out with? And yes, he does. And he loves them. He doesn't condone any wrongdoing, but he loves us. And he's present with us, even, even those who, who are rejected by society. You know, Jesus didn't come to save those who think they've already got it together. Jesus came to save, save those who are lost. And, and, and that's, that's the awesome love and grace that we see in action. Uh, this life that John is talking about uh, brings fellowship. Did you see that? Um, and, yeah, we, we had a laugh at Bible study. <laughs> fellowship doesn't just mean, you know, morning tea after church. <laughs> it's, it's, it, that is fellowship. I don't want to deny that. But it's more than that. There's, a, there's an intimacy of the relationship. That, that's what fellowship is getting at. It's a very personal, intimate relationship. And John says that that personal intimacy, he and the others who were eyewitnesses of, of Jesus and what he was doing, is shared not only by, by John and the other eyewitnesses, but all those who came after who believe in Jesus. He says that there's a, there's a, there's a unity there. There's a relationship, a fellowship. And if you think about it, it's, like, it's pretty similar in some ways to us. Like uh, We're in High Wycombe, you guys are in Maidavale, but we have a fellowship and a unity but do you notice that the fellowship and the unity doesn't only go on a horizontal person-to-person -person dimension. It goes on another dimension. Have a look at verse 3 uh, towards the end. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see that? The fellowship that, that, that God is offering to us in Jesus is not merely uh, one with one another, but with himself, with God himself. A relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with the one who made us and who loves us and who gave everything for us. You see, this is massive news. And when we look at what John uh, describes it as, he says that it leads to total joy. And uh, I think if you, if you uh, like me and you chatted to people around the place, you, you may have picked up that a lot of people believe that there's some kind of higher power, that people gen generally think that we're not here by accident, that, you know, there's, there's something or someone behind everything. I think what a lot of people don't realize is that knowing him 
brings the greatest joy that we could ever find. I think we can tend to think of, uh, if, if we're thinking just in a worldly way, we can think of God as a killjoy who wants to suck all of the fun out of life and, and, and not give us the good things. And, 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 and that couldn't be further from the truth. God is the God who brings us ultimate joy. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't withhold from us. No, he gives us a relationship with him and a relationship with brothers and sisters, adopting us into his family. And it makes sense that that would be where we would find our greatest joy, doesn't it? When you think about God made us, he shaped us, he fashioned us in his image. Where are we going to find our greatest joy? It's not going to be in the things of the world. The Bible tells us that that God has set eternity in our hearts. That is to say, he's put a longing for forever in each and every one of our hearts. And if if you try and satisfy a longing for forever with what is only temporary, it just won't do give you an example. Um, I like watches, I like various other things, um, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, you save up for a, a watch, in my case, or maybe it's something else for you, and you go, all right, now I've got it. Bought the watch, it's fantastic, it's excellent. I'm not even wearing a watch right now. <laughs> Don't worry, there's a clock in front of me, I can see how long I'm talking for. Um, but you think, okay, as, long, as soon as I get this, then I will be satisfied then I will find my greatest joy and it will all be okay and I'll be able to move on. How quickly, though, do I go from buying a new watch to looking for another one? Is that your experience as well? To think that we look for something to satisfy us, to give us the greatest joy in the temporary world that that we're in and and we think, if I can get that, I will find joy. We get it and we realize that it's not enough. Uh, Jim Carrey, a uh, great philosopher that he is, uh, said something pretty insightful. I'll give him that. Uh, he said, I wish that everyone could have everything they'd ever dreamed of and be rich and famous and have it all and realize that it's not enough, that it won't make you happy. <laughs> and I think it's, it's very insightful to realize that you can, you can get all of the temporary stuff in the world, you can have absolutely everything from a human perspective and still feel dissatisfied and will feel dissatisfied and that's because God has put a longing for forever in our hearts not a longing for what's temporary and a longing for for what's forever is not going to be satisfied by stuff here and now but by Jesus Jesus Christ the one who is life the one who gives eternal life only he can satisfy Only he can give us what goes beyond the life that we have here. And that's life. So don't miss out. Don't reject the most amazing gift on offer of life and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Well, how do you how do you accept that gift? How do you how do you receive him? Well, let's let's have a look at the second uh, picture there we have of light. Uh, Before we before we do that, he says in verse five, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. And we spoke earlier of how this is the gospel, the massive news of Jesus Christ. This is the message that Owen is to protect and proclaim and propagate along with each and every one of us. And so this massive news brings life and this massive news uses the imagery of light and darkness. Now, light and darkness are concepts that are familiar to us. So, if you think about, uh, I remember one time um, we, Kelsha and I took 
our three-month-old at the time, Florence, on a trip to Adelaide, and we went to this. We were in this hotel, uh, and we we had these block-out blinds there, um, which we don't have in our house, and it, they are amazing. Like the 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 light was gone. Like it was it was the daytime, but it was it was dark. And I I, I so what, why I mention that is you you can see that light and darkness don't really go together. If I were to light a candle in that room, it would no longer be dark. Or if I were to open the blinds or turn the lights on, it would no longer be dark. Similarly, if it was light and I closed the blinds, it would be dark. If you go underground and, you know, get it's really dark down there and you turn all the lights off, you can't see anything and it's dark. But if you, if you, if you light a match, all of a sudden the darkness is gone and the light is there. They don't coexist well. They don't, they don't go together like, um, yeah, they don't, they, don't, they don't fit in the same place at the same time. And so light uh, gives to mind the radiance, and, uh, and whereas darkness is, is, a, is the idea of things being cloaked and hidden. We even have phrases that, that refer to this. So we talk about doing things under a cloak of darkness. You know, if, if we did something that we didn't want others to, to know about, and we do it under a cloak of darkness. At the same time, if, if, we, if we come into the light, we have that phrase that, it, that, that actually means to, to, to bring out what we've done into the open. That's what coming into the light is all about. And so John sets up this amazing use of the light and darkness here for us. And he says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So he's told us that Jesus, who is God the Son, is life, and now he's telling us that God is light. That there's no darkness in God whatsoever. And as we know, light and dark, they don't, they don't go well together, and so one will necessarily overcome the other. And so to say that we know God when we're actually living in darkness, walking in darkness, is to lie. Because if you were walking in the light, you couldn't, you couldn't be in darkness. If you were walking with God, you couldn't be in darkness. And if you are walking in darkness, you can't be with God. And he draws out this contrast of, of walking in darkness and walking in light. And, and walking in darkness means to to be turning our backs on God and, and doing things our way. There's a number of ways the Bible uses to describe this, and it basically uh, says that it's, it's a universal human condition where we find ourselves by nature. It says that if there's, if there's a line, we cross the line. You know, if God says, don't do that, we do that. If he says, do this, there's a mark, we miss it. We don't do it. And if there are rules, we bend the rules to try and fit ourselves. Um, I know that I can think of countless examples in my life of doing those three different things. And so our natural state is in the darkness. What we need is to be in the light. And that can only be accomplished by the one who is light, God himself, who shines his light on us and exposes us. And we think, oh, no. The idea of being exposed and, and being seen for who I am and all the wrong and all the selfishness and all the things that I've done feels daunting and scary. But look at what God says happens when you come into the light. He says, if, you can, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins 
and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we, we, we might be tending to think, oh, if we come into the light, we will just be condemned. But the, the contrary is true. If we hide out in the darkness, we will be condemned. If we come into the light, we'll be forgiven. You see, he's saying here that, that if, if, we, if we say that we have not sinned, in verse 10, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What, what, what he's saying there is, if we say that we're perfect and that we've never stumbled, then we're actually not telling the truth. And if we're not telling the truth, we're in the dark. Now, when I meet people, uh, I haven't met many people who told me they, uh, they've lived a perfect life. Pete and I, um, he's sitting in the front here, we met a guy outside Coles one time who's 80, and he told us, oh yeah, I've, I'm, I'm perfect. And we were like, wow, <laughs> like, you know, how do we, how, how, you know, trying to, yeah, trying to talk to him about that and ask him, you know, I think he admitted that he'd told lies and various other things, but, but he nevertheless thought that he was perfect. He genuinely thought, you know, God's going to look at me and think, great, this guy's all good, come on in. Uh, he, he thought, man, I'm perfect, I, I've got no, no sin. It's not a very honest thing to say, is it? If, if I asked uh, who, who's ever told a lie, and, you know, most of us put up our hands, anyone who, who hasn't put up their hand, you know, would be lying, so... <laughs> then we could all put up our hands. You know, it's, it's, I think one of the ways I find it helpful to think about is to look to Jesus. Because Jesus is life and he is light. He's the light of the world. You look at Jesus and you see, what is Jesus like? Selfless. What am I like? So often selfish. You know, what, what, is, what is Jesus like? Loving. What am I like? I can so often be angry and, and, and unkind. When Jesus is kind... When Jesus is gracious and compassionate and merciful and he goes out of his way to do what's best for others and I can so often go out of my way to do what's best for me. And I suspect that that's true for all of us as we, as we look to, to what God has said here. He says that if we say we haven't sinned, if we say we're perfect, if we say actually I measure up to Jesus' perfection, we're lying. It's not true. And so that puts us in a very confronting position because before the perfect God we ought to be condemned but there's hope on offer to us in Jesus Christ you see Jesus is the light of the world he is the word of life and he alone offers us forgiveness and mercy and compassion such that we who naturally are in darkness have the light of Christ shone on us and can be forgiven. You see, he says, like we read just now, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's saying that if we bring out our past and our, our present and everything into the light and we say, Lord, you are perfect, you are light, by nature, I'm in the dark. I come into the light and I say, Lord, I've, I've sinned. Have mercy on me. What does he do? He says he's faithful. That means he's trustworthy. He's true. You can rely on him. He's just. That means he's fair. And he will forgive us and wash us clean by the blood of Jesus. How does that work? You know, because you think about it. If God is perfect 
and he's going to judge us in, in accordance with a perfect standard, and we're all sinners and, and people who've rebelled against him, how can it be fair for this God to judge us as righteous? How, how can he look at us and say, yeah, you know, so if we take my life as, for example, I've sinned in many ways. How can God look at Jared, who by nature is in the dark, and go, I'm being fair to forgive him? You know, that, that, that stretches, stretches our, our minds, doesn't it, to think, how can, how, can he, how can he be fair in forgiving us? Because surely to do what is fair would be just to judge all of us. Well, he is fair because Jesus, who is the word of life, died for us. And because Jesus, who is the light of the world, took on our darkness. You see, that, that's, that's the crux of Christianity, is the truth that Jesus, who is God himself, came down to this earth to live the perfect life we couldn't live and then to die the death we couldn't die on that cross to save us from the death that we deserve. That's, that's at the crux at the heart of what we as Christians believe and know to be true because of his revelation to us. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, when he was crucified with a criminal on his right and on his left, dying a criminal's death even though he was perfectly innocent, he, he is there and as he's on that cross, something happens from midday to 3 p.m. From, from the, the time when the sun is the highest in the sky to when it's the hottest part of the day, something happens. The sun was eclipsed and darkness covered the whole land. And that shows us something. It's not, not an accident, not some cosmic accident, but the reality that Jesus on that cross, the light of the world, was bearing our darkness in our place. And that's, that's the beauty of the, the gospel. That's the beauty of the message of Jesus Christ, is that the one who is life was sentenced to death to bring us eternal life. The one who is light took on all of our darkness to bring us into the light. And so he tells us that we, we, we the readers, uh, he tells us, I'm telling you this so that you may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate. That is someone who intercedes for us, and that's who Jesus is. And he says that Jesus is the propitiation of our sins. Now, that's a big word, um, and it's an important word, and it means the sacrifice who takes the wrath of God in our place. And that's how God is fair, because Jesus has already paid for our sin, for all who believe in him and put, put our trust in him. And he can do that because he is the life, the word of life, and he is the light of the world. So as we look back on what we've seen this morning, we see that Jesus he is the one who alone can offer us eternal life because he is the eternal life. And he's the one who alone can bring us into the light because he is the light. And so don't, don't settle for less with what the world offers you. No, come, come to the one who offers the greatest and completest joy, Jesus. And don't choose death and darkness. Choose life and light. Choose Jesus. Come to him. Put your trust in him. This is the message my parents passed on to me, and it's the message that I preach today, and that we all are united by. You see, if we take a step back and we think, it's pretty simple, 
God is perfect, we're not. Jesus is. And because Jesus died on that cross and rose again, we can be seen to be perfect in the sight of God because Jesus took the death we deserved and has given us life and righteousness. So I urge you today, come to him, put your trust in him, find the greatest joy and find true life in the one who is life. Come into the light. Don't hide in the darkness. We, we might feel safer hiding in the darkness, but the reality is true safety and true joy is found in coming into the light. Admitting to God, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. We're going to pray like that now, so please join me. Lord, we're sinners. Naturally, we walk in darkness. We pray that you would have mercy on us. Forgive us for our rebellion against you. Work, us, work in our hearts, Lord, to help us see how we don't measure up to the perfection of Jesus. Help us to be honest, Lord, and to come to you in confession of our sin and turning towards Jesus, who alone can help us. We turn to you, we trust you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.